0: Are you looking for the perfect place to network and help flourish in the gaming and esports industries? Come along to the big industry meetups hosted in Sydney and Melbourne. Check out at Business and Games on Twitter or facebook.com forward slash Business and Games for announcements and dates. Welcome to episode 006 of Business in Games, also known as the Big Podcast. I'm your host as always, Chris Mayer-Smith. In this show, we chat about anything gaming and tech, tackling the big and small business topics. Today, joining me, I have Nick, aka Sav. He's had five years in the esports scene. He's currently doing a full-time job in operations management for a company called Law & Order. And also, he's the founder and CEO of Tainted Minds and lives in Brisbane. Nick, mate, how are you today?
1: Yeah, good mate. Uh, pleasure to be on board. Looking forward to jumping to some good topics tonight.
0: Yeah, no problem, mate. I mean, you know, we chat a little bit off air about this, and and we've got an absolute plethora. is probably the best word to use of questions coming in all over Facebook, all over Twitter. So you know, you're a man. You're a man that's wanted. Have you thought about doing some stage work?
1: <laughs> I don't know about public speaking uh, personally. Uh, not my strongest point. Uh, probably, like most people, get a little bit scared. Um, you know, it might be something to look at um, down the track. But yeah, for now, I'm pretty comfortable behind um, behind the scenes is is good enough for me.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, c- kicking it off on a more casual note, if there is a if there is any PAX panel you could see at PAX Australia, I assume you'll be there as will most people in the esports space. What PAX panel would you like to see, and would you be on it?
1: Um. Yeah, I wouldn't be against being on it. I think uh, having a mix of, uh, I guess, players would be cool. Having some, you know, professional players, but also you know, industry experts um, as well, and maybe people from you know uh, particular marketing agencies. Um, I could see that being pretty popular. I think it'd be good to have like a really diverse mix. Um, I, I know that we, you know, that people do have. Um, Generally, I guess it's the marketing people that will get get a run on stage. But I I, I know Jubes. I think from Sin was on a panel not too long ago for esports, and I think integrating the the pro players onto the stage more and more um, would be pretty beneficial um, from their point of view as well.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, about now, you know, right about now, it's it's all about the players, really. So it makes sense to get their input, there, the the kind of almost lowest common denominator while the esports scene is growing. And that's something that that we chatted about in the last episode with Jim and Esso that, you know, it's about support for the players right now. And, you know, the audience is, is kind of growing as it comes. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I I feel as though um, it's just a space that's continually growing. And I think the more support that we can give these players, you know, um, you see it in traditional sports where, you know, they're giving, you know media training and stuff like that, and I feel like that's slowly going to be the progression point. And you know, exposing them to things such as panel um, will only you know help their their own personal brand as well. And you know, it's a it's a skill to have, and I think the more exposure they can get, the better.
0: And they they do so much more in the esports scene in regards to marketing. And I've chatted about this in some consultation, and I've chatted about this on you know some public. Uh, things before and also between people such as yourself and, and other people in the eSports scene that, you know, d- when do you see a player from the AFL tweet about how the new Kia that just launched is sick and, and they really want to go fanging around in a Kia stinger because that's who sponsors them, you know, but you compare that to someone from Tainted Minds will often be retweeting, you know, here's the latest Lenovo product. I'm looking forward to using the new Tainted Minds mouse pad in my game today and, and things like that. Do you think that that added pressure is a good thing a bad thing is it a mixture of the both or how do you see it versus traditional sporting fields
1: um yeah look i think in in our space it's like you know our players are the experts um when you know when the casual audience look to professional players they don't just look at them as you know you know obviously a very skilled individual but they they look at the the hardware they use and what they recommend so I feel as so, though like that's probably a pressure, but it's a good pressure. It's it's a really organic marketing point of view as well. Is that you know these guys, you know, and you know what professional players they they use stuff that they're comfortable with. They use stuff that is beneficial to them, so that you know they're not necessarily uh, selling out to to to, to phrase it. it. I think it's it's more of an organic reach um, as opposed to you know traditional sports. You know they they do have their you know really set requirements and media stuff and it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. as relatable as it is in esports.
0: Yep, yeah, I think I think you're definitely right. So, you know, kicking off some of the some of the other questions that we had as well today, I wanted to ask you how you see team owners of today versus three years ago. You know, we had a bit of a chat before and you're <coughs> saying that Tainted Minds was predominantly an online thing in twenty twelve, you know, twenty fifteen it really kicked off, especially with, with League of Legends and such. So do you see a major shift in the team owners of today? Do you see a shift in people like yourself, people like Wes from Avant and et cetera?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it's pretty safe to say if you went back in a time machine uh, and compared, you know, today to what it would have looked like three years ago, it's it's a pretty big jump. Um, even from an outsider looking looking in, you know, um, it's kind of gone from like a bedroom mentality to an office and business mentality, which is which is a good thing. Um, and it it was always going to be the progression point, point. Um, and you can kind of see it really again transitioning from a hobby to a career, like people. Can actually see there's been you know a long-term thing as opposed to back then when you know of the opportunities weren't necessarily as big as they are now. So it was more of a I guess a hobby to some back then, but I think today mm-hmm. it's it really is a legitimate industry that you can forge a, a really good career out of.
0: Yeah, so we'll be definitely touching on some more of that stuff later and, and you brought up some awesome topics then that I'll come back to. But I also wanted to ask you, how does your job in Tainted Minds as the the founder slash CEO slash director function compared to, say, a traditional role and outside of esports role? Because we, we chatted a lot about last time with Jim and Esso about how esports is a startup mentality. And, you know, your role as a CEO in Tainted Minds, you could say a startup is maybe, you know, five to ten employees, some full-time, some casual, you know, some, et cetera. How do you find that in esports that differs compared to the general stuff or even to your full-time job as an operations manager for a large company?
1: Um, look, I think esports is its own beast right now. Um, I think it's – it, 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 there's similarities and in, 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 you're right, I think startup is a pretty fair way to describe it in, in most senses. It's very hands-on. Um, And you're kind of required to wear multiple hats, Um, whereas you know in in your day to day job you might be responsible for only certain certain aspects of the business. Whereas in esports right now, it's kind of more of a a very hands on and like I said, multiple hats. And you know you're doing different things. You're handling marketing. You're handling teams. You're handling talent. You're handling commercial. Um, It's just a really big mix at the moment. Um, And you know and you know like esports is it's 24/7 it it really is it's it's not like a, a regular job where you know it's 8:30 to 5 it's 9 to 5 it's it's it has its own hours it's it's esports hours
0: yeah and you know we t- we touched on that a lot in the last cast as well which is great that you know, some of the guests on big do agree with each other <laughs> in saying about the startup mentality and and you know it's really switched on. And you know, you mentioned about esports being in its own time and, and with esports and tech as a whole being a very 24-7 thing, do you find that makes it hard for you to relax? And and how's the work life balance?
1: Uh, I guess from uh from my perspective, uh it my I'd definitely say my work life balance needs some reviewing. Um, but I put that onus on myself. Um <laughs> For for me, working the job that I do, there can be uh, weeks where I'm, you know, doing 60-hour 60 60-hour 60 weeks. Um, it's a 24/7 business um, as well, so there, there'll be times where I'm doing really crazy hours, and I come home and I'll work on, you know, TM till, you know, three in the morning, uh, and then the alarm's are off at five o'clock to get it, go back to work, and um, you know, that's that's on me to kind of adjust, but um, it, it is. I do think it's important to try and draw back and provide some work-life balance because, uh, you know, it should be quality over, you know, quantity.
0: Yeah, and do you find that not coming from an esports player role yourself is a disadvantage? Uh, I chatted once again, going back to last week, you know, Jim and I chatted a lot about a lot of the team owners or captains or operations managers in esports right now are ex-players. Do you find that that's a disadvantage or does it provide you with a different kind of view to come into this business type scenario?
1: Yeah, I think I think for me like I've just managed to absorb myself in it since obviously pretty early days 2012 and <clears throat> from from my point of view I don't necessarily see it as a disadvantage I see it as like a fresh pair of eyes um and really kind of pinpointing that what gaps could be in the market as well um So I think obviously coming from a, a either a pro player background um you will know how the mind of a you know a pro player works, but um, from a business point of view, I think um, having that outside influence of you know a, a high level day to day job is um, obviously very beneficial from a business point of view.
0: Yeah, and, and touching on what you said about Tainted Minds starting in 2012, this is kind of a, a joint question that's together from Jack King on Facebook and also Jesse Razima, who both commented on the Oceania Esports and Gaming Business Facebook page. And they really wanted to know about the foundations of Tainted. So could you explain quickly what inspired you to create TM from the beginning? And and also, what does the general roadmap look like for someone who wants to own their gaming team from scratch or, or from 10%?
1: Um, I guess for like, from our point of view, we started off as literally like everybody else, just an online team back in 2012. Um, previously to that, we were called Kings Connected. Uh, this is going back to COD four days, and uh, I think it was Modern Warfare 3 came out, and we're like, oh, let's let's make a new name. And that's kind of how it was born. We just bounced around ideas, and uh, back then, I was playing a little bit as well, and kind of just transitioned throughout the years as we watched the space develop, Um we did originally have the um, the idea of jumping in around 2014 uh, to like that you know that land setting to you know sending teams um, around Australia, but for us we were waiting for that that perfect structure and um, that kind of came in 2015 when we really launched into it um, hard. Uh, in terms of a roadmap, um, you know I think everyone's different. I think you need to. You have to come into it and ask yourself what you want to get out of it, um, and how you want it to see. Do you, do you want to be a name on you know an international stage, are, or are you happy just you know being that online team? It's it's really it's really deciding what what you want to make out of your brand, and um, everyone's completely different um, you know on that aspect as well. So the the roadmap for for me is really sitting down and writing a business plan and what and what you wanna see your brand succeed and do.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to touch on what you were saying about you know, taking into account exactly what you want to get out of it, and that's a very, yeah, you know, a very generalist business thing that some people don't necessarily think about esports because it's it's obvious to us and to some other people who've who've dabbled in various different aspects of esports that coming into this, a lot of people being ex gamers, a lot of people being younger, which is the esports audience. Dare I say the the word the M word millennials, um, <laughs> the avocado yeah. toast generation? Um, you know, it's it's some of these general business things that people I find can find advantage from reading very generalist business books you know one of the great business books that I like to read is by a finance guru guy in the US called Dave Ramsey you know finance guru and and, you know he's a kind of religious figure and you say how the hell does that have anything to do with esports well if you go and take a look you know he's he's created a company from the ground up and now he's worth you know 55 million net worth or something like that and you know he pays cash for everything he owns and he has very good business mentality so you know touch on what you said and expanding on that I think it's great for people to go back and and have a think about okay this is a business I'm running we need sponsorship and I wanted you to expand a bit more if possible about the you know do you want to be an online team versus do you want to be international because if you take into account a role such as mine or a role such as Josh Edwards, aka Death Dog, at Visonic ANZ, or even a role uh, like Daniel Natoli at Benki Zowie, we are very focused on our region. So if you were to, you know, look into a sponsorship with a company like us and say, hey, Chris, I uh, really want Corsair to sponsor me. We've got, you know, six teams in Australia, but also we've got <coughs> the best Call of Duty 4 team in Turkey. Uh, for us, you know, that international doesn't weigh in as much. Do you find that being a barrier for you at all or do you think that that's more of a barrier just for traditional tech things or is that something that you guys haven't really had to consider in the past
1: um yeah i, I definitely agree to the fact that um, you should keep it native to the to our region um i have a uh, one thing i do have an issue with is and i'm sure you probably see it a ton in, in your role is that people will generally spew out um, you know the analytics and the numbers that are you know synonymous with globally but they're not necessarily applicable to our region mm. uh, which i find kind of skew a lot of um, skew a lot of things because while those numbers are fantastic they don't they don't apply to our region and that'd be the same logic as you've just explained then it's like well cool we've got all these teams in australia but we've also got the in turkey that doesn't help you and it's, i kind of I feel the same way is that you have to keep it native to your region and I feel like that should be the same with sponsorship. That should be the same with the the numbers that people are putting forward is that they should be keeping it native because I, I, I'm sure that there's companies out there that they see those, you know, those giant League of Legends figures, you know, more viewers in the NFL, NBA, you know, that kind of stuff. That's cool, but that mm-hmm. doesn't relate to our region at all.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, to it's it's kind of – bring our rant, I guess, to to an end and, and kind of move on to some other topics. And not saying that this isn't a constructive chat at all because it's it's great and I think it's what, you know, what we've been kind of saying and, and that's one of the reasons that business in games exists is to be able to reach this out to other people but, you know, I was, I was mentoring a guy who works in um, tech modding, so he builds PCs and mods them which has, you know, not very much to do with eSports besides it has computers in it. And, you know, chatting to him, I kind of identified with him the very simplistic formula for if you were to contact a sponsor. And I showed him, look, here it is literally in dot points. Here, Here is my general idea, dot point number one. Dot point number two, uh, here is what I want to do. Dot point number three, here's what I need from you. Dot point number four, here's what I'm giving to you stats wise. And then dot point number five, what do you think? And Or aka as well as how much this is going to cost. And that's, that's literally it, you know, and that's exactly what you said. You can talk about the analytics. That's fine. You can have that on the side, but you really want to talk about the analytics of what they care about. And this is another point that I chatted to him about too. Was okay if you're approaching um, someone like Corsair. You know, we make keyboards, mice, and headsets, so obviously that's what we're going to be interested in. You're not going to talk about the global laptop sales, or you know, if you're a team that has uh, a Counter Strike team, you're not going to talk about global esports figures in. Call of Duty, uh, you know, three hundred and forty-seven, whatever we're up to, and talking <laughs> about uh, Smite and things like that, because they're not they're not relevant to you, they're not relevant to the company you're talking to, and you know, I really wanted to just take that quick time to expand on what you were saying, and you had some great, definitely great topics there, and you know, that's why we get someone like you on board, but you know, moving on, um, a question from. Jonathan Newton on Facebook, who's actually an employee of Thermaltake Australia and a close friend of mine too, he wants to know about what's taken into account when looking into new games. Do you take into account the community surrounding the title and their attitudes? There's been talk of, you know, this community is toxic, this community is really sponsor-friendly, this community is X, this community is Y. Do you... What what goes into when you're picking up a new team besides the base? Are they good? Can they frag? <laughs>
1: um, look, it... I might be off cuff here, but I, I feel like there's a level of toxicity in every community and title um, in Australia. That's that just is what it is. I think that's gaming. That's the kind of the the age group that you're looking at as well. Um, so you got to take the good, the bad there. So I don't necessarily just completely dive into the community community aspect and base my reasoning around that. Um, obviously, do look at it because it's part of the do, the due diligence. But for me, when you know we, we are looking at new games, new titles, it's kind of like, what's the opportunity uh, nationally, internationally? Um, what's the kind of reach that we can expect? What's the kind of viewership that, you know, the games games may have as well? Um, they're, they're kind of, and, and obviously, how good are the players as well? Um, they're kind of the real big drivers for us. Is just, you know, what's it actually look like? What's the package look like? Um, because, you know, there can be uh, top teams in certain titles that, Absolutely dominate um, you know their respective title, but the actual opportunities aren't really beneficial to TM so it's more of a business um, business decision um, on Aaron um, and that just comes down to looking what's on the table really.
0: yeah, so moving into you know your first title and, and probably the main one that that Tain and in mind seems to put you know, a lot of their effort in being such a uh, driving force in Australia. How do you find the right game support of League of Legends um, compared to other gaming developers? And what are the positives and negatives? You know, talking to people outside of esports, I often say LOL and Dota, while at their core, are similar games, being MOBAs. Um, you know, Riot are very hands-on, very want-to-do-everything-from-A to-Z, where, where Valve are very hands-off, unless you're giving lots of money, and then they'll say, all right, we'll help you out just a bit.
1: Yeah. Um, look, you know, I think it's no secret that uh, right in our region have probably um, invested the most. Um, if that's no secret, obviously, especially this year uh, in particular, you know, they've um, they've really put a lot of um, you know funding behind behind teams and the players. They're trying to create you know a, a very official league and, and model um, that's appealing to obviously the players, but um, you know outside. Interest as well, you know, your investors, uh, sports clubs, obviously, with the Crows. Um, so I think they've, they've done really well on, on that aspect. Um, I'd love to see um, other titles develop a more structured league presence. Um, Call of Duty had that in 2016 with CWL. You know, it's 300000 USD, uh, a very well-structured league, um, scheduled um, broadcast. And that was – I thought that was really, really good for the title. And, and it, it would be nice to see – you know, Counter Strike, for example, have that really high level involvement. Um, obviously, it's no secret that Riot are obviously very hands on with their product as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives there. Um, the only negatives that I think, you know, from my point of view, I think the viewership is pretty poor considering, you know, the amount of investment. Um, and I don't know if that's strictly a, a scheduling point point of contention or, or what it might be. But um, it's, it is a little bit disappointing from an owner aspect to, you know, if you log on and you're only seeing, uh, you know, 800 to 1,000 concurrent viewers. And then, you know, you jump into a Zen League match, for example. Uh, I think there was a game with Immunity um, earlier this year where our teams are playing. I think there's 8,500 concurrent viewers. And to to me, I think that's, that's like probably – the higher negative is just the the, the viewership um, aspect, and I don't know if that's more just a scheduling issue, but uh, I think it's safe to say that Riot do um, do a really good job in terms of um, brand and player support.
0: Yeah, so touching on you, you mentioned quite a few different titles there as well, and I I wanted to identify the CwL because uh, you know it's obviously. Tain and Mines has had a bit of experience in the Call of Duty console scene, and and that's one game that I saw you guys picking up near the start with with some support from different sponsors. How do you find the cross promotion goes between that your PC only sponsors and your console? Do you find that they that that they get a hundred percent of the exposure out of that? Do they get maybe thirty percent because it's obvious that console people do use computers as well? And uh, you know, can you explain that kind of relationship between a PC sponsor and you having a console team as well? Yeah, I
1: think it just it, it comes down to really working with the partner. Um, I think having that really open dialogue and, you know, letting them know, hey, we've got this event coming up. Um, we're planning to post this at this time. Um, we'd love to get some promotion. And, you know, generally a lot of the partners will, in some level, you know, speak with each other as well. And I think the more promotion that, you know, console, um, PC, you know, you know, they're working together at the end of the day. You're looking to maximize the opportunity and that comes down to just literally working together. So I wouldn't say that there's a, a real even spread by any means because, you know, um, if you're talking title, um, you've got your MOBAs, you've got your FPS, that, you know, it, it can be hard to have that cross over an audience. But I think if you're creating like a good product and you're marketing well is that you can, you'll, you'll see the drips and drabs and then uh, over time that really does build up.
0: Mm. So, so speaking of your product and also your marketing, um, you know, Tainted Minds oh, slash TM has gone through a slight rebrand recently. We've seen the League of Legends team adopt a, a semi new logo with the with the TM, <coughs> um, with having a separate Twitter account now called TM Gaming compared to the Counter Strike guys, kind of still sporting the others. So, could you talk through the process of this rebrand and also some of the some of your opinions behind it and, and why it was put forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, um, this was made public, I think, maybe in November. Um, effectively, the League of Legends team is its own business. So, it's a separate business from TM, um, so Tainted Minds. And originally, uh, it was actually going to be a fresh skin, uh, brand new name, because um, it's a joint venture with um, LPL uh, and John McRae. So, the, the original idea was to create a standalone brand that was, wasn't Tainted Minds, it was going to be its own brand. And just due to timing, um, it happened to, you know, we, we didn't have the time that we needed to do to do that. So for the the first split, obviously, we, that ran under Tainted Minds, but uh, it was always intended to have its um, its own identity and be separate um, because, you know, we found that as, you know, as you've seen overseas, there's franchising, it's moving into that, that kind of model. So we wanted to kind of be ahead of that by having a standalone business in a joint venture. So it wasn't necessarily just a rebrand. It just, it's obviously come across like that. Um, and, you know, we've, we obviously still rock the, the crazy alien mascot um, on Tainted Minds, but um, I think you'll see again in 2018, that'll probably be its, its own um, identity and moving slowly transitioning away from the Tainted Binds, um name.
0: So talking about uh you know rebranding in general slash you, you mentioned franchising and with that in- instantly comes to my mind investing and etc you know there's been quite a few investments into the scene and and you guys have, have been invested into <coughs> previously as well as as the news titles say could you touch on your thoughts of investment versus a direct sponsorship to begin with as part a to this question I guess you could say
1: yeah, it's actually really funny. I, I I recorded a video probably probably three weeks ago. I haven't released it. Um, so I think investors in the esports space are, are obviously. I think it's a good thing, but there has to be. Um, there's also caution when you walk into anything like that as well. Um, personally, we've had uh, really good experiences with um, you know John and LPL, but we've also had pretty bad experiences as well. So it's just people need to realize it's just one of those kind of spaces and markets where you might be dealing with, um, you know, it's pretty blood in the water. You know, there's a lot of sharks as it's very easy to get caught up in it. Um, so while I think there's a lot of good that comes out of that, obviously that can be looked at two different ways. You could be looking from a straight capital point of view where you're looking to, you know, put a lot of money into your brand to do certain things that you wouldn't be able to do outside of acquiring a sponsorship. And then you've got things like commercializing opportunities and, um, you know, different resources, whether that might be legal um, or marketing, you know, whatever that might be. So there's definitely good and there's definitely bad um, aspects, I think, of investors entering the space.
0: So when looking at sponsorship versus investment, could you explain what kind of sponsorship Tainted Minds looks towards? Because, you know, at face value, a lot of people just instantly look at, oh, okay, this, this guy picked up. Telstra. That means they're obviously getting $4 million a quarter and Telstra's <laughs> flying to Vegas every month to party. Whereas it could be, like you were saying, it could be pure marketing support. It's not uncommon to hear about um, someone saying, okay, I'll sponsor you. We're only going to give you a small amount per quarter, but we're going to give six times the amount of that to pushing you to our current customers or sending out tweets for you with our Facebook page. It has 3 million, um, you know, three, 3 million people on our Twitter and things like that. Can you, can you explain some of the differences and different ways that Tate and Mines has worked with sponsors?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's, um, it is kind of vanilla for us. I think it's a, it's, it always, it's always a mix of like, I guess the contra and, um, monetary value as well. Um, it's, it's a mix. I, I can say that, um, but saying that, I think it's important to not only just look at hey, I, I want this amount of money. Um, I think there's also added value, like you said, with from a marketing point of view, if you're dealing with a brand that's got six hundred thousand followers on, you know, Twitter, for example, they're they're actively promoting your brand to a, a larger audience that you would never have the opportunity opportunity to reach. So mm-hmm. I think it's important for for other brands to recognize the added value that you know, a high level marketing opportunity can provide as well because it's not only fans that you could be reaching, it could be other potential sponsors that go, hey, these guys are working with Telstra. Um, they're obviously doing something right. So I think there's also that added benefit. Um, but for us, I think it's, we obviously want to be able to supplement, you know, the business um, and the players. So it's important for us to be able to obtain some kind of monetary funding because, you know, it is pretty expensive to get people around Australia. It's a big country, so uh, that's definitely a part of it. And then, obviously, providing um, players with the tools that they need as well is very important.
0: Yeah, and touching on the investor thing again, this is a this is a, a kind of a reword slash similar to a question that I got to ask the Corsair CEO in person. Um, and I wanted to chat to you as well, especially with where esports is at the moment. Do you do you get worry that there might be some issues now or in the future where your investors or people who own capital in your business don't see eye to eye necessarily with your decisions? Uh, are there issues at the moment where you can think of, you know, that have been made public? You know, I'm not asking you to tell everybody your dirty secrets or anything <laughs> like that, but, you know, there, is there anything like that happening in the past? And, you know, my main question is is around direction, because it's obvious that, you you know, everyone's heard about these investors have come in and said, All right, now I own your company, I'm the expert and, and I want you to do xyz where you as the a director ceo person who made this and, and brought it up from you know gave birth to it and brought it up from one two three years old bottle feeling it to where it is now uh, mightn't agree with that or might have more you know insight on one side of the scene towards the other
1: yeah definitely like, uh, and this will be different from from person to person situation and situation the situation i think it's really dependent on how that that's really structured internally, um, whether that's what the percentage split is, for example. But, you know, I think one thing that needs to be respected by, um, you know, people investing into esports is that they're not the experts. Uh, we, we are the experts. Um, and you know, if you, you could have all the money in the world. Um, but if you don't know the space, you don't know the players, you don't know the market. Um, there's only so, so much money you can throw at something before it falls over. So, um, you know, I think it's a a big part of the space, and I think it's definitely going to develop. Um, my advice to people that are looking down this road is to really look at um, look at how your you want basically you want to be on the same page. You want to ensure that you both share the same vision. Um, it's important as well to find someone that shares a long term vision because it's very naive to think that there's going to be a direct and instant return on investment within the APAC region right now. Uh it's 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 not a reality. Mm-hmm. So I think um you want to be looking at people that have a a 5-year vision if that makes sense. Um because otherwise, you know, like you said, if there there's a situation where they 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 bought 100% of your company, um you're you're retained in, you know, to run your run it to the best of your ability, but if they are you know, calling the shots at the end of the day and they're going to make the best decisions for them and for the business and what makes sense. So I think it's very important to be engaging in people that share, share that vision. Um, and that there's a plan from day one, because you know, you're right. If, if they do obtain a hundred percent of your company at the end of the day, they're going to ensure that they're making their money back. And it's, it's very important. I feel for people that are looking down this road that they, do their due diligence. They don't just jump at the first person that flashes them a check um, because I promise you it's a very, very shark in the water kind of market and there are good, honest people out there, but then you're going to run into people that aren't, uh, you know, the complete opposite. So that that's kind of like my advice on the situation.
0: So moving into this new age of esports, Brad Moore asked on Facebook, uh, in the, once again, the Oceania esports and gaming business Facebook on a previous cast that we did, how, how is it going with the transition from owners being the face of a brand being very public on Twitter, Facebook, giving people opinions of what's going on behind the scenes to releasing formal press releases and statements as a company?
1: Uh, It's tough. (laughs) I think it is tough. Um, you know, as, as a you know, like you said, you, you you're with a brand from day one. It's something that you've worked really hard on, and then, you know, you do have you do have this thing where you, you have to sometimes take emotion out of it. Uh, it has to become a business decision, and you know that could come from the fact that you also got, um, you know, shareholders in the company as well that you know you're responsible to as well. So, yeah, I think it is it is hard, but it, it is, again, moving it, um, our region in the right direction because. The more we're moving to an official, you know, an official business, an official company, it's important to adopt that same mentality. And you know, um, you know, statements, um, statements from a company—that's a that's a part of, it. It's a part of traditional sports as well. Um, you know, you see statements from you know sporting clubs nearly every week. Um, so I think it's just part of, part of growing the growing space.
0: And wrapping up the talk about investment because because obviously we've touched on that quite a lot. Talking about traditional sporting clubs, which you just mentioned, we did have a question on Facebook as well from Nick Sanchez, a well-known Counter-Strike player for many, many years called Fluke. He wanted to know, what are your thoughts on the sporting team's investment into the esports scene? Is it something that that TM is considering or or, or has already looked into? And for those who don't necessarily know the background around that, you know, Sav mentioned previously that the Adelaide Crows have invested in with Legacy. So what's your take on this scenario?
1: Um, fr- from my point of view, I, I see um, the sporting clubs getting involved to be a good thing. Uh, there might be some traditionalists that would see it as, you know, killing out, um, you know, the traditional brands in in our region. But uh, I think one thing that traditional sporting clubs would respect, and uh, it's obviously been the case overseas, is that uh, you know the local brands are the they're the face. Um, what's in, what's important for people to understand is that. The ability that and resources and commercial opportunities that come out of you know, for example, the crows getting involved, um, you know that that's something that we probably wouldn't be able to organically see ourselves for God knows more like ten years maybe if we, if if you if you don't take that into equation. So I see it as a good thing personally because I feel like it's going to push everything along, and that's not just even from a brand point of view. I see that from an opportunity point of view because. Uh, off the back of that you you've got the opportunities for um larger tournaments, you've got, you know, bigger prize pools, you've you've got a lot of other opportunities that people probably don't recognise. And then on the flip side, you've also got, you know, Adelaide Crows, I think they've got over, you know, hundred thousand followers on Twitter. So you've got a, a, a large membership base that you can also tap into and you're not gonna get all of those. You might not even get half of those, but they're people that wouldn't know your brand without that you know without that partnership so mm. it's it's only going to help help everything speed along it's going to help everything grow so yeah i definitely see it um as a positive uh and yeah it's something that we're obviously open to and uh you know something to look into in the future um, it's just making sure that we have have everything uh, where we want it to be first
0: so at MS underscore shadow asked at business and games on Twitter, how do you find the motivation to continue pushing hard into the esports scene?
1: Um, I think for me, um, it's just something that I'm really passionate about. Um, it's just something that I want to do as a career. It's, and I think once you find it, it obviously sounds pretty corny, but you know, when you do find something that you're really passionate about, it's pretty easy to find the motivation, um, and that's kind of like, that's what drives me is just I, I want to do the best that I can. I want to be able to do the best that I can for, you know, my players. And um, that's what really drives me.
0: So chatting about um, about players and also, you know, wrapping up the whole investment versus sponsor thing, how important is cash flow to an esports team? And how soon does something like that have to come into account when you're looking to plan something that's bigger rather than just an online team, as you said?
1: Uh, yeah, obviously very important. Um, and again, it's, it, it really comes down to what your business model looks like and what you want to achieve because, um, you know, you might have one team that goes nationally three times a year and you're looking at, I don't know, over $10,000 minimum, um, to be able to do that with, um, you know, accommodation and flights. So, um, it's definitely important to, I think, understand what's involved, um, and for us was it was the same. In twenty fourteen we're like We can we can easily jump into this right now. Um we've we've got the budget to do it ourselves internally, uh, by you know supplementing it through our own um cash flow and it really came down to was the opportunity worth it? And I think um you know, you have to be prepared to understand that Esports requires a lot of time, it requires money, it requires patience, it requires a lot of things and I think you have to make sure that you've checked all those boxes before you really dive in and you have to understand that it is going to cost money and whether that comes from um, out of pocket or lining up sponsorship beforehand, although that would be pretty hard I'd imagine, um, it's definitely something to ensure as well.
0: And how do you how do you forecast as a team for these kind of these kind of costs that you will incur in the future? thinking about, um, you know, obviously if you're doing legal engineering in team house right now, which means you need to fit out. Uh, if you're looking into, like you were saying, it's about $10,000 to send a team overseas and even more if you want them to boot camp before the tournament to get used to the time zone differences. So how do you go about that as a company and, and how is your how is your company structured with the support structure to be able to establish that? And that was another similar question that was asked on App Business in Games.
1: Yeah, I think um, it it is easy to budget, but it's also not easy to budget because there are pop-up events. Um, I think Counter-Strike is definitely one of those titles where, um, there can be a lack of notice. So, um, but generally for the most part, you'll have a general idea of, um, how many local events they're going to be a year, depending on the title. Um, League of Legends is a little bit different in the fact that there's some, there's stipends there involved. you know, for, for running the house and, and whatnot, but for, for your other titles, you know, you'll get a general overview of um, maybe three to five national events a year. So you can kind of work out your, your own costs there for flights and accommodation just from that alone. Um, but then you also need to take into consideration that they're going to be things that are out of your control and, you know, they pop up. Um, in terms of support staff, I think they're, they are one of the you know the life the blood and life of an esports team in Australia because um, right now it is a it is very passion based it's not it's not a full time gig so I think having the right the right people um, in your company is very important as well and again it comes back to being on the same page and sharing the same vision and passion.
0: And if you were to go back to, to chat to Tainted Sav in twenty twelve before beginning most of this, what is the one major roadblock you would have warned yourself about in esports?
1: Uh patience. Um <laughs> uh, you have to be very patient. Um probably one of the main things. Uh it's not something that can be successful overnight. It's a it's a it's a hard slog. Uh and if you are passionate about it, um that also helps as well. And You know, for me, I'm lucky in the fact that it is something that I'm very passionate about. So I think patience would definitely be something to probably tell myself back then is to be patient and opportunity will come.
0: Yeah, and, and passion can obviously outweigh that, right? We, we've seen that, you and I have both seen that in many businesses across anything in technology. Um, you know, we've seen it in movies, we've seen it in in real life, amongst sporting, amongst any kind of business that when you're truly passionate about something, sometimes it's quite hard to put that off to the side and this is something that I explained once again to some people I was, I was mentoring and a team that I was chatting to with a bit of a kind of free, I guess, coaching session and saying, look, even myself as someone who's been been around in this scene for you know you could say I've done probably 10 years of esports so far and held many different roles I still get jealous when people say hey I'm now sponsored by X or I just picked up this cool job in America to do X and and while I'm very happy for them to do that it's that passion that you need to learn to as a business person and as, as a growing adult as a person you need to be able to curb that would you agree?
1: Yeah certainly um, I think another way to do it is put a positive spin on something so uh, if there is, for example, someone brings in um, brings in a non-endemic brand, um, I see that as, well, damn, I wish that was me, but I see that as an opportunity. I see that as who, who's the company's competitor. I want to bring them in and I want to create that rivalry. Um, so I think it's there's also opportunity to take out of a situation like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, wrapping this up, I am... Uh... I'm missing a soundboard, so I can't do any drum beats or ding, ding, dings, but I wanted to ask the bonus question. So what's stopping organizations such as Tane and Minds investing into a game title like Dota 2 specifically?
1: Uh, I, I think this ties back to um, what I touched on earlier. Um, for us, it's uh, what's involved, uh, so the opportunity. So obviously Dota 2, again, one of the the features on you know every global deck that you've probably ever seen, the the flashy numbers, the twenty one million dollar prize pool. Um, however, not applicable to our region, for example. So, I think for us, it's it's what's what's also a, a good business decision is what's the viewership like? How do we stack up internationally? How do we stack up nationally? So, I think for us, uh, it, it comes down to what's it look like here before before we get involved and. In, from my understanding, um, it's pretty, it's a pretty small scene, um, in, sorry, locally, it's a small scene, uh, obviously enormous, um, internationally. So I think it, it would require, um, a higher level of competition and support here. If they ran something, even half the size of, um, you know, how Riot run league of legends or, um, you know, zen league for example for cs then i think that would make it more desirable to organizations
0: and if you were to wrap up the the one biggest win over the tainted mind's history into one sentence what would that sound like
1: biggest win um look for look for me um i the biggest win for me is obviously when the players get to live out their dreams um there's a player um Eminence uh, of our Call of Duty roster, and I know his biggest dream was always to go to Call of Duty Championships. So when he qualified, um, I think for me that that probably made me really happy just for him. Um, so I think taking happiness out of um, seeing you know these the kids you know reach their dreams is that's a that's a high point for us um, outside of you know um, whatever placings we might get um, as a brand. I think. Taking, taking happiness out of the players' achievements is um, also a really big highlight for us.
0: And what would you say the biggest thing that Tain and Minds has to work on as a business would be?
1: Um, I guess for us, I think we had a really good plan of um, producing content um, as a brand uh, this year and that's kind of fallen away. Um, so for us, we really want to develop our own, our own style of content. Um, I think Avant have really done a great job of that aspect uh and that's something that we actually had in plan back in december it just obviously hasn't eventuated so i think for us it's really stepping up our game on that side of things
0: and and you know while tainted minds has been in and out of the the headlines and articles and, and news recently and you not being someone who's who's often been in those articles whether they've asked you to or not is there anything else that you'd like to address before we wrap up today or anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to
1: um look I'll give a shout out to obviously um, all the fans that have supported us through you know the good and the bad times um with without that support you know we wouldn't be able to do what we do the players wouldn't be able to do what they do uh so that's really my big shout out and then obviously to all of our you know our staff as well um I think um Josh who looks after our marketing digital space is the best in the region I think he's the blueprint for a lot of brands here and um I think. I'd love to give a special shout out to him as well because he's, he's killing it.
0: Yeah, sure. And where can people uh, watch your work and also follow you?
1: Yep. Uh, so firstly, if you uh, jump on Tainted.org, um, we've got a really cool giveaway going away at the moment with a limited edition uh, TM Skin laptop um, from Lenovo. So give that a hot retweet. Um, but otherwise, you can catch me at Tainted.sav um, and obviously follow our Facebook as well. Same Same handle.
0: Yeah, And uh touching quickly on that on the Twitter thing is what you've mentioned a couple of times and and it being very based around esports at the moment how do you as the company see Twitter versus Facebook as the main social media platform?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um you know like <laughs> I have this conversation with my wife is she doesn't use Twitter and she sees Facebook as the the superior platform so I think you'll see a slow transition over to the Facebook um platform only because it's the reach that we have locally would probably be a lot better um, because Twitter's not necessarily a big thing um, for the casual audience but for the eSports it's massive so I think they have both pros and cons um, and I think utilizing both is still the smartest tool um, but I could see Facebook being more popular in um, you know a couple of years time
0: cool no problem and the last question that I've been asking most people is uh, two things. One, who do you guys have your eye on at the moment to be an industry leader? Uh, could be anything in regards to technology, and also who's an underdog you've been keeping track of.
1: Uh, what was the last question? Sorry,
0: who's an underdog you've been keeping track of? Um, I,
1: look, I, I, this will be a pretty biased um, answer. I think Lenovo. Um, I think you know when we started working the, with them in early twenty sixteen. You know, they're very business orientated um, and they've really developed, you know, their influencer program and they've really, I think they've really stepped up in that regard. And so I definitely see them as someone to really set a trend over the, you know, the next year. Um, In terms of an underdog, are you talking more of a brand from a... A brand point of view or you or just anyone in general
0: yeah it could be anything it could be a team it could be a brand it could be I don't know even a streamer uh, whatever you think is relevant to you and uh, you know it's chatting to some of the previous people um, you know ranging from Anthony Greffer from Tweakedown, who's a techie to to chatting to another tech guy, Brian Billerwall, who who does his own tech, or a streamer, anything for views, who gets lit on fire for money. Um, you know, <laughs> it, you know, most people have a have a kind of underdog person, uh, whether it be a guilty pleasure or whether it just be someone they think is awesome that they haven't been able to work with yet. So, who would you identify? as that?
1: Um, I think there's a few. I'll give a few shouts here. I think Digivisor who look after, um, some really key influences as well. I think they're going to do a lot of good stuff in the gaming space um, this year. I know that's going to be a really big focus of theirs. Um, from a streamer point of view, like I said uh, prior to going on air, um, absolutely love my man Dibs. I think uh, knowing what he's got planned for the rest of this year, um, I think he's going to do some really great stuff. I, he's really looking outside the box and very forward-thinking um, and very – uh, very genuine as well, so I could see him doing some great stuff.
0: Yeah, and wrapping this up finally, what would be your your one piece of advice to a smaller person chasing an investment right now in the esports space?
1: Chasing investment, um, again, uh, and this is—I might sound like I'm harping on this here. It's just really do your due diligence. Um, really decide what you want from the investor side of things, um, whether that be strictly capital, whether that be resources and capital. And obviously, like I said, uh, the main thing for me is ensuring that you're on the same page, share the same vision, because you need to realize that investors, their whole thing is return of investment. And um, you know you need to understand that that's why they're getting involved. So to ensure that that long-term vision is in place.
0: Alright, thank you very much for joining us today Nick and thank you to the listeners for tuning in to episode 006 of the Business Thanks, and man. Games podcast Who would you like us to chat to? You can contact us at Business and Games on Twitter and also Facebook. Make sure you check out the Oceania Esports and Gaming Business Group on Facebook to chat about anything you've heard in this episode or anybody you'd like to us to chat to in the future You can follow Nick aka Sav at Tainted Sav on Twitter and you can also follow me, your host, at Smithy Mayer on Twitter or at Facebook.com forward slash Smithy Mayo. Once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with you again soon and bye for now. Are you looking to launch into your dream job? Apply for some one-on-one mentoring today with me, Chris Mayo smith To get in touch, head to at Smithy Mayo on Twitter or facebook.com forward slash Smithy Mayo. With over 12 happy mentor clients so far, it has been proven as one of the best ways to get ahead.